Don't Punt to Geo, your football show on the Tar Heel Blog podcast feed. Of course, hosted by the good people at TarHeelBlog.com and the SBNation.com podcast network. If I'm recording four podcasts in a week, it must mean two things. One, football season is imminent. Two, it must mean we have a special guest. Joining me is longtime internet friend, master chef, and Chicago culture enthusiast. You know him as at in the bleachers on Twitter, Michael Felder of Stadium TV. Felder, how are you, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. Happy to hop on with it. Yeah, man, I I appreciate you joining me. Um, so it is officially Swamp Ass season in Charlotte. How is it up there in Chicago? Because I I know I uh, you would prefer to maintain residence here. Yeah, it's um it's bad here too. It gets hot and it's been in the nineties a few days. It's cooled off now because I think we're getting ready to be in the fall. But um the big diff the biggest difference between here and you know home is. They don't know how to use air conditioning. Um, restaurants with windows open, it's, you know, people windows up. Oh, 90 degrees, this is great. Let's go outside. No, it's 90 degrees. Let's go stay inside for the whole time, forever, because we don't want to be outside at all. And it's just, that's a massive difference in this, this desire to be outside when it's in the 90s, and I don't get it. Yeah, nothing uh, really speaks to me like, being in an air conditioned uh, pizza restaurant with brick ovens and, you know, pizzas that look like lasagna, like Pizzeria Uno or something saying, let's eat this while it's 85 degrees in the restaurant. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. We'll open the windows. We'll get a breeze. Um, no, outside is where the hot is. We should be protecting ourselves from outside. Hey man, that's the windy city though. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's like uh, when I lived in Atlanta and uh, people called it hot Atlanta. I said, yeah, you must be a tourist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so Felder, I don't know uh, if, how many people listening know this, but you're actually a preferred walk-on at UNC uh, back, what, 03 and 04? Yeah, 03 to 06. It was at UNC 03 to 07. Um, yeah, the John Bunting years, the final, the final four of Coach B. So, yeah, it was um, – I mean, we were a team that we weren't very good. We didn't win a lot of football games, but we really did like each other. Got some lifelong friends from it. I'm actually living in Chicago, and my best friend is Ryan Taylor, who was brought in by Coach Bunning and then ended up playing a couple years for uh, Butch Davis as well. So, yeah, it's, um, it was an experience, and I wouldn't be able to do what I do today without – going through honestly my role as a not just as a preferred I was brought in as a preferred walk-on who I was expected to be on scholarship going into year two then you fire Dave Huxtable who's now at NC State as a defensive coordinator you fire Jim Fleming who was my defensive backs coach we bring in Marvin Sanders so we have a completely different defense that I don't fit because guys I'm not a cover two safety I am a down in the box safety and so when that happened, you have to find another way. You got to sink or swim. And for me, it was to kind of lead the scout team and to do some walkthrough stuff. I was a walkthrough quarterback for the defense because I knew the adjustments and could help guys kind of figure out what they were supposed to do. And again, wouldn't be where I'm at today without that experience. Yeah, man. And it's, it's fun to just uh, kind of look back a little bit, but um, what, what was the, player experience like uh under Bunning and you know we're, we're gonna eventually segue this into Matt Brown and the 2019 Tar Heels but you know just kind of on campus uh being a student athlete at UNC at that time you know what what was that like for you and I hate to be so broad and vague with questions here no, but it's fine no we had a good time um we were guys that had a lot of fun um 
couple guys obviously ended up having too much fun and got kicked off the team. Um, I was, I was there, I was there in the kind of in the midst of. So for my time, for UNC fans, for what they would remember, they would remember beating NC State with the T, the TA McClendon, um, the TA McClendon goal line stop. You remember beating Miami with the Connor Barth kick, and I was a part of all of those things, and also a part of the Puff Williams, Fred Sparkman, Darius Bowman getting kicked off the team in the middle of the season for smoking weed in a dormant. So that was that that was my era of UNC. That was we lost the 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 victory bell to Duke my freshman year, got it back my sophomore year, and went to one the went to the Continental Tire Bowl. Um as far as experience goes, I had a great time. Like I there's a reason why once you realize you're not gonna play, most guys are gonna transfer out, but I wanted to be at North Carolina. And that was the school I wanted to go to. If I was worried about a scholarship, I would have went to Wake Forest. I would have gone to Duke. Would have went to ECU. Would have went to App State. And but I wanted to be at UNC. And so that was a feeling that has since faded. But yeah, um, <laughs> it it was for me at that time. It was the right move, the right decision. Um, and it was great. We were we were we were not good on the field. But we were fan. We never listen. We you make the people make the joke about Ole Miss. You may not win the game, but we've never lost the party. Our our group of guys. We we went to that bowl game in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Boston College might have beat us on the field, but we won every single event. We won the NASCAR event. We won the eating contest. <laughs> we won we won the going out to the bars. We won we won everything every other thing. Uh, we just didn't win the game. And so it's one of those, it's a great experience and one of those things that kind of really colors how I am as a person and kind of helps you put things in perspective. And I think the big thing for me that it does going forward from a work standpoint is it, it helps me understand that experience. This is, these aren't, to me, these guys that are, these kids that we're watching play football, they're not mythical figures. They're not Superman. They're not heroes. They're, they're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids who are being asked to do some really heavy things. And I know that what they do isn't easy, so I've got a very healthy respect for it. Well, none of them are uh, mythologues except for uh, maybe uh, Trevor Lawrence, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned the eating contest. I actually dug up a video from uh, Bleacher Report uh, with you and Steven Nelson and uh, Daryl Simpson, who's, uh, to my knowledge, still an offensive lineman in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Yes, he you, is. Yeah, you, you beat him in a wing eating contest uh, back a couple of years ago. So, um, did did they have you front and center at the uh, at the Continental Tire Bowl as uh, one of the eating contest participants? I was not front and center during that. We let the linemen take control there. Um, but the Daryl Simpson thing—that was a um, that was a fun video. Daryl Simpson—he's six six, six seven, three hundred and thirty-five pounds. But I told my colleagues at BR, I said, "I'm not losing to no damn kid." I, I will not lose to a kid. And I beat him by two wings. They say it's one wing in the video, but the reality is I, I beat him by two wings. It was a fi- it was five minutes. We had these ghost pepper wings. I think I ate 16 and he ate 14. And I'm, I was not losing to him. And I ate, I picked those things clean too. I, my mom would have been proud of how clean those wings see, were. See, that, that was going to be the one thing I was going to ask you because I didn't really get, get a good view of the wings. So I was going to say, I mean, how, how well were uh, people eating wings? Because I can't eat wings with people in public because I just get mad at them and end up stealing their bones. And I, they look at me like I'm the crazy person. 
Yeah, he wasn't picking him clean. I was picking him clean just because Mr. Rebecca, my mother, would not respect me if I didn't come through and make sure that that, that everything was off, even down to a little bit of that gristle. Hey, man, you were raised right. That's that's all there is to it. <laughs> so wh- where was uh, Michael Felder and the crew going out on Thursday night in Chapel Hill? Chapel Hill. So Our, our statute have, of limitations is up on this. I had a part-time job working at Pantana Bob's. Okay. And so – Oh, oh, you probably time. booted me from there my freshman year a couple times. Oh, I, listen, I, listen, Chip, old Chip Patterson that works at CBS, I had to kick him out. So <laughs> let me tell you, but I worked at I worked at Pantana Bob's. Um, Jay Spence, another walk-on guy, he worked at Pantana Bob's with me. Andy Gale, who was a baseball player who ended up transferring to Florida, he worked there as well. But it was a cool job. Uh, so if I wasn't working on Thursday, I was at Pantana Bob's anyway. So Thursday night, working or not, I'm at Pantana Bob's. The only difference is one of the, some of those Thursdays, I'm a little, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly sober, but I walk out with, you know, 150 bucks. The other days I walk out down a hundred dollars because I'm just spending money. So it is Pantana Bob's. I love La Rez. We used to call it Larry's. Mm-hmm. La Rez was great. And then every now and then we would get over to the Dead Mule Club. Mostly when somebody had a fight with their girlfriend or, you know, things weren't going right and you just wanted to kind of kick it with your boys, we would take it over to the Dead Mule Club and drink high lifes and just kind of relax instead of worrying about, you know, who's this girl, who's that girl, who are you talking to? It's DJ Night at Bob's, which was always on Tuesday, which we were getting after it. Oh, man. And uh, so... Yeah, we used to get after it at Pantana Bob's. Oh, back in the day, pre-shutdown, we used to go to Avalon, of course. That's uh, before my time. RIP Avalon. We used to get to the uh, to the PDC Players Dance Club, have a couple uh, Holy Grails or Blue Motorcycles. And, of course, Sunday nights, we pop in over to He's Not. Um, we pop in it over to He's Not and getting drinking some Blue Do some Tub. karaoke. Exactly, singing karaoke. And uh, maybe we wrap it all up with a trip to Hector's to get that double pita burger. So RIP Hector's as well. Man, uh, Hector's saved my life a couple times with the uh, pita cheesesteaks, but you can't go wrong there. Man, RIP to all these places. You know, having uh, yeah. having timeout down on East Franklin now is crazy to me. Um, yeah, the biggest York. RIP for me is Pepper's Pizza. That's, that used to be oh, my man. spot. Growing up, I used to go to games, and we'd always – we pregame, we'd stop at Pepper's Pizza, get a pie, and then walk to the stadium. And I get there, and it shuts down. And I was like, oh, wow. Goodness, how could this place close? Yeah, man. Um, you know, the, the only thing that I can really stand for is uh, I love New York Pizza is still running mm-hmm. somehow. It, I don't think they've run a mop over that place since I was in college. But um yeah. That, that's where I grab a slice if if I find myself in town now. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a small world because pretty much our, our bar schedule was very much in sync, man. <laughs> um, I might replace Dead Mule with Bubs, go play some Big Buck Hunter instead of um, yeah. instead of doing the Dead Mule thing. But, you know, it was Schlitz instead of uh, High Life. So, you know, our, our palates might be a little bit more refined at this point. Um not not to uh, just awkwardly transition here, but we're here to talk about UNC football in 2019. Um, you you cover a wide array. I know you y'all interviewed uh, Lincoln Riley a couple weeks back, and that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, 
But just kind of at a 30,000-foot view, what's your takeaway for uh, UNC here in year one under, under Matt Brown? I think year one, there's inter- the energy's up. Obviously, there's the season ticket sales are up, which is great. I think you're going to have people that get to the, actually get to the stadium, um, you know, before the first quarter starts, which will be <laughs> a nice thing. Um, and I, this is one of those things for me that, like, there's no way that any fan can be like, he's disrespecting us. I was like, no, I ran out of the tunnel to the empty stadium. Like, come on, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> like, I, I do know what it, I do know what it can look like. Um, oh yeah. So. I think that I think that's a big positive for a background. And then from an on-field standpoint, I think there are two things that I would want people to know. One, and they're both the coordinators. It's Phil Longo. It's Jay Bateman. Um, Jay Bateman coached at Army. Army is one of the lowest talent programs in the country in terms of talent level, but they were able to get tremendous results out of their defense. And that's because Jay Bateman understands that Defense is not always about talent. Defense is about discipline, and it's about doing your job. And this North Carolina defense has been incredibly undisciplined, and they, they make so many missed assignments and had so many missed alignments in ball games over the last few years, especially when they had – there was a spike when we saw Gene Chizik come in where he yeah. held guys accountable. And then once he was gone, they went back to this – on this undisciplined style and Jay Bateman will not accept that. I think that um, along with Alex Grinch, who was hired at Oklahoma, I think those are the two best coordinator hires that we've seen in this cycle. Graham Harrell probably being a close third if it works out at USC. Right. But I think because Bateman is a guy that he, he's, he's coming from a place where it's not just that the players have a measure of respect for what the coaches say. He's coming from a place where that respect is demanded, and I don't see him dropping off to accept mediocrity, to accept, well, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, to accept, well, I thought. And well, I thoughts are the worst thing for a defense. Well, I thought that he was going to do whatever. No, I don't need you to think. I need you to do. What do we coach you to do? Let's do that. And so I think that's a big positive. And on the offensive side, uh, with Phil Longo, I think that everybody looks at Ole Miss and they think, oh, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. But the reality is you got to look at Sam Houston State and start to think about that running game because if you're North Carolina, the best part of your football team is that running back room, and at least offensively. And oh, yeah. You, you need to get those guys cooking, and you need to have them all running and all working. This should be a team that averages you know, over 200, 250 rushing yards a game, and I think that can be a game changer for them because you take pressure off the defense because you hold on to the football. You don't ask a ton out of your quarterback, and you have the opportunity to still be offensively potent in terms of scoring points. Yeah, and and you're talking about an offense with three awesome running backs in Antonio Williams, Javante Williams, and Michael Carter, and two, Mm -hmm. as of yesterday, two freshman quarterbacks in uh, Sam Howell and Cade Fortin, or Cade Fortin transferred, uh, Jace Reuter. Um, Both of those guys can move a little bit, so I think – you know, going back to Sam Houston State and uh, look, looking at what uh, Longo did with Jordan Tommy last year, the quarterbacks are going to be involved in the run game some. But, sure. you know, basically, they as backwards as it sounds, you know, they've almost got to run to protect the offensive line just because in pass pro, they might be a little bit problematic. Um, right. So, I mean, and that means your quarterback can end up hurt. And then that's the last thing that you need is to have, whether it's Sam Howe, whether it's Jay Schroeder, the last thing you need is to have a hurt quarterback and now you're scrambling. So take stuff off the quarterback's plate, take stuff off the offensive line's plate, just ask them to go one direction, you block, and we're going to figure out the rest. 
And, and here's the biggest issue from that is, you know, if, if you look at like the Phil Steele breakdown, you're still looking at guys like Jordan Tucker at right tackle who's still pushing 330. Um, I know uh, the new strength and conditioning coach had more of an emphasis, a positional emphasis and a flexibility emphasis uh, as opposed to Lou Hernandez, who apparently had the dudes maxing out during game week. Uh, a, did you ever max out during game week? Um, um, first of all, I didn't get in the game, so we were maxing out all the time. <laughs> But also, Coach C was an insane person, and so the starters didn't max out. But your your travel squad guys, we, your non travel guys, we would do we would get a max in every now and then. But the guys that were actually going to play, they did what we would call maintenance workouts, where you just want to maintain your weight, want to maintain your strength, push a little bit, but not do too much. So yeah, that maxing out, and it's like you can tell you what Gerald Sensiball wasn't maxing out in the season. Um. You could have you, you could surprise me with that one because Gerald, Gerald Tensiball was a massive human being. Well, oh, still um, is to this day. To someone, I'm sure you're talking to someone who sat behind him in meetings. So I had to <laughs> I I had to move my head around to see around his humongous neck to see what was going on on the projector. Man, I I uh, I cannot relate, but I can imagine that. That is uh, not not going to be the most easy thing to do. I mean, was your neck hurting after that? Yeah, that's the thing. I'm in a bad position now because I got to move to see behind, around his huge neck. And he, um, I will say this, he taught me so much about football. I mean, he was, I, again, he's one of the reasons I can do this job. Like, watching film with Gerald Sensiball was a massive game changer. Like, he is, he was one of those guys that just, not just special athletically, but he understood football better than most people ever will. And he was only there for one year. And uh, really, you know, he and Dexter Reed were the leaders of that defense kind of in that era. Um, you know, just going back, I mean, I was in high school, so I wasn't fully involved and, you know, really watching with as much interest as I did once I got to college. But, you know, they, they always had a safety leading the team in tackles back in the day. Um, let's flip it back to that defense right quick. You, you mentioned uh, – you know, the what I saw or what I didn't see. Um, how how much harder is it gonna be for Bateman, you know, opposite a spread offense that's gonna run some tempo, um, as opposed to at Army where, you know, he's really running out like fifteen, sixteen dudes a game. Um, is, is that a change that you're going that would concern you as a UNC fan? Because the way I look at it, you know, they've got a senior or two on every level of the defense. So, I mean, who who's quarterback in that defense and you know how big of a concern should the depth be here? I think depth is going to be interesting because I think you've got a combination of there's guys that are older, but that doesn't mean that they're guys that are better. Right. And I think that's going to be, I think juggling that's going to be critical. Um, what is it? Dom, Dom Ross. Yeah. linebacker. Yeah. Linebacker. Like I think he's got to be a guy that, that you have to try to count on. I think that, um, you're going to watch these guys. I think Patricia Renee is someone who's flashed in the secondary in terms of what he's been able to do. But the big key for me is just they got to you got to make sure everybody's lined up. And I think that as a unit, I think well, I, when I think about defense, I think about defense split up into three units. I think it's your your front, your middle, and your back end. And when you you've got to have a leader on each level, and then those your linebacker and your safety leader both have to sync up to make sure that everything looks right when they look at it. And I think that's going to be the part 
that's going to be the most interesting to see how it works out. Um, I'm very curious to watch these guys come together, though, because we've seen flashes from Renee. We've seen flashes from Ross. We've seen flashes from Miles Dorn. The question just simply becomes, can we get all this done? How do we, how do we put this together? And I think we're going to see a very a simple defense. I don't think you're going to see a ton of blitzing. I think what you are going to see is guys that actually know what they're doing, and that goes farther than any amount of pressure that you can bring. Um, when I think about it, I think about it in terms of Georgia's defense from a year ago. And nobody right. thinks Georgia's defense is bad a year ago. But they never got to the quarterback. They didn't get any sacks. But everybody knew where they were supposed to be. So they minimized the big plays that they gave up. They minimized um, the, it, the, they minimized a lot of the, 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 the impactful plays that changed the, complex, that changed the complexion of a game. And I think when you look at this, this UNC defense, the goal is going to be we may not have a guy that's a super sack artist. We may not have him yet, or we may not have discovered him yet. But what we do have are guys that are – he's going to be in the hole. Now, he might get ran over, but he'll be in the hole, which means that that's a two-yard gain. Even if you get ran over, it's a three-yard gain. Instead of him not being in the hole, and now it's a seven-yard gain. And I think that's the goal. Well, we were uh, both guests on uh, Daniel Palmer's unanimous decision pod, so yeah. I don't think you had a chance to listen to my appearance on there the day before uh, yours came out. But I, I mentioned that to him, talking about the Georgia defense. Just uh, 2017, you have Roquan Smith and uh, Lorenzo Carter, those guys flying around making plays behind behind the line of scrimmage, where in 2018, you know, they did dumb it down a little bit. So I'm kind of with you there, I think, They'll probably dumb it down a little bit at least early on, uh, because it's better to get, you know, it's better to give up five and six yards than it is to get gashed for thirty yards against the South Carolinas, Miamis, uh, App States, and Clemson's of the world. And with that, man, I mean, looking at this schedule, they open with South Carolina here in Charlotte. They uh, host Miami in a night game the next week, then have a non-conference game against Wake Forest before uh, App State and Clemson at home. I told my buddy Jake Lawrence on this podcast uh, earlier this week that if this schedule is flipped upside down, I, I could see them getting bowl eligible. But, I mean, how how, how rough is that just uh, going in and having probably five or your six tough, toughest games right off the bat? Yeah, that's that's not going to be easy. I think we, we go game by game. You start with South Carolina and um, – I. I don't think people realize this nationally, but Columbia is closer to Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm uh, expecting to be outnumbered there. That, yeah, that place is going to be a very Gamecock-friendly location. And South Carolina is a school that can't afford to lose this game. And North Carolina, I think the difference in mentality here is North Carolina is looking to get a win. South Carolina recognizes we play Bama, we play Georgia, we play Florida. We play um, Clemson. A&M, Clemson. And we can't – this is a game we cannot lose because if Will Muschamp's got to be thinking, if I lose this game, I'm in trouble. So I think that that desperation out of South Carolina coupled with some in, some uncertainty from UNC and obviously young quarterback, I think that, that puts them in a South Carolina position to go get a W. I think with Miami, though, you have some uncertainty at the quarterback spot. I'm a big Jaron Williams fan, but – you got to figure out who your who your guy who your pieces are. He's got to find out where to, where he needs to hit Jeff Thomas and where he has to hit Brevin Jordan, and that's going to be not easy for him, especially in a situation where he is um, trying to make sure he keeps this job. And offensively, they are a team that 
still needs to work to establish DJ Dallas in that run game. So I think that that's going to be that's going to be a nice battle for UNC to be in. And I think and obviously Miami having that game under their belt, they're going to be in a spot where they feel a little more comfortable with who they are, unless they get destroyed by Florida. Yeah, that that's the thing. I think it's definitely advantage Miami that they got this game moved to week zero. Uh, that they're going to get a bye to likely lick their wounds. And by yep. by the time this posts, uh, the Miami-Florida game will have uh, been played, so we could be very wrong on this. But I've got Florida by a landslide in that one. And, you know, really – I think it's going to be a tough football game. Do you? Yeah, I do. I think Florida, Florida's got some of their own issues. Um, and I don't think that Florida's a team that's ready to stretch to be a team that scores 40 points consistently yet. And so for that reason, I think Miami, because their defense is still solid, even though they're replacing pieces in the back end, I think they can keep this game a little bit tighter, even though it may feel like Florida is dominating. Yeah, um, I mean, I can see it. Uh, if, if Florida does dominate, you know, every, everything but the scoreboard, can you see the um... – the Miami, you know, what, whatever we want to call it, if we want to call it swag or front running or anything, can we see that wearing off that quickly? Or do you think uh, with no, a bye I, week they can bounce back? Yeah, I think they can bounce back. I think this is going to be a nice fist fight in Chapel Hill. And I think this is where we see Jay Bateman really shine. This is the first opportunity to see him shine, excuse me. Um, because I think about the Miami-Virginia football game from a season ago. And Bronco Mendenhall is not much different than Jay Bateman. His defense – they're not spectacular in terms of what they do athletically, but he has guys in the right place at the right times, and that's how you make plays. And Miami was so undisciplined a season ago that they just kept giving the ball back to UVA, and UVA was able to secure the victory. I think this is the same type of game that you have to play. You have to make sure you're in the right place at the right time, be where you're supposed to be, and you have an opportunity to secure the W. Let's uh, go on to Wake. Uh, UNC going there in a non-conference game. I have to repeat that every time because it's just so freaking weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, um, Wake, Wake will tempo you at least. Yeah, I love Jamie Newman. So this is going to be interesting because Jamie Newman will make you look bad. And I think that this is a game that you should feel – UNC fans should feel like that we can win. But Jamie Newman is tricky. And so we'll know a little bit more about them going into that part of the schedule. But – that's a game you got to worry about. And then obviously App State's the same thing, right? And you get them at home, which feels much better than having to go to the Rock. But, who? I'm, 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 I'm not feeling that game at all, man. They love, their, they love that quarterback there. They love him. And these guys can play. They're going, I think the, the saving grace here is that they're going through a bit of a transition. As Satterfield left to go to Louisville. So we'll see what happens. And then you get to the big dog, Clemson, right? Like, what can you do? Yeah, what, I mean, you know, keep it within 30 or keep it within 42 or keep it within, you, you, you know, don't let them hang 70 on you because they may very well. Um, they get a little reprieve after that going to Georgia Tech, who is in a complete rebuild situation. I, you know, just 30,000-foot view, do they win that game right now? I mean, I think North Carolina should be a favorite in that game. They should feel like they're going to get a, a, their first road win or maybe their second road win, obviously playing against Wake Forest. But I think the big thing here is we don't know anything about Georgia Tech. Uh-uh. And everyone, and this is one thing I noticed in media, is everyone just assumes they're going to be bad out of the gate. They assume they're going to be bad. And I, I, one, I don't know why we're assuming they're just going to be bad. And so 
like for me, I'm thinking about Clemson playing Georgia Tech in week one, and it doesn't terrify me to the point where I think Clemson's going to lose. But what is, what is Clemson practicing right now? I mean, I guess they're watching Temple tape. Um, yeah, I mean, right. with that one, they're just going to be mean because they're out there trying to prove themselves. They're, they're probably not going to a bowl game. I mean, they book in with Clemson and Georgia. Um, but I think Georgia Tech is going to be mean. So, you know, that, that that's kind of a gut check game for me. They're going to be angry. And the other thing is what people don't realize about – none of those kids wanted to play option football. You know? They yeah. wanted to play this football. They just had to play option football. That was their best chance to play college football. So now you got a team full of guys that are getting – they're finally getting to do what they wanted to do. I, yeah, I think that this, I, I think they have an opportunity. I think they could be a bowl team this year. I think it's going to be, you know, hit or miss because you mentioned Clemson, Georgia. I think that's two losses for sure. Then you've got to get through the rest of the schedule. But I think this is a, a Georgia Tech team. I mean, I think about it from a recruiting standpoint. I think about it from an on-the-field standpoint. This is a team that's happy. This is a team that's excited to play football. They went from a dour low energy football team to a team that's high energy we want to knock you out and they've got a secondary full of guys that are probably going to play on sunday this team's going to be interesting man you're 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 talking me out of my first uh assumed win right now man and you you know i've got uh georgia ties as well so you're you're really breaking my heart twice here uh the heels get a bye then they go to virginia tech speaking of team that I don't know what the hell to expect from. Um, They lost another guy today. Yeah, they got the opposite problem with Georgia Tech. Nobody's excited about being there. And it reflects in recruiting. It reflects on the field. Fuente's got to figure out a way to get these kids energized because this never happened under Frank Beamer. And you've got Bud Foster's last year, which means we could see potentially at the end of this season another upheaval in terms of transfers and guys leaving because right now they've lost mostly offensive guys. But with Foster out, ooh, you could see defensive guys who the sell for them was getting to play for this legend and he's leaving, and now guys are going to be like, I'm out. I'm, I, this is the one thing holding me, hold, keeping me here. Yeah, they, they lost uh, Nathan Proctor today. That's Which is crazy. Yeah, so, you know, the, the defensive turnover from last year, I, I think Foster will have that defense right, but I'm just kind of worried about – well, for Virginia Tech's sake, their program as a whole. And you know what? I'm I'm here for it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got the, so that, that's the game you should go get a W in, a, 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 get a road win. Duke Blue Devils, I think, is, is an interesting one. I like Quentin Harris. I think he's very talented. But I think this is at this point in the season, in the middle of the year, you should, North Carolina will know who they are. They will be a team that recognizes we need to run to win. And you have an opportunity, especially with Duke having to replace so many pieces on that defense, especially their linebacking group. This is an opportunity where you can take advantage of that. Yeah, and you don't really want to mess with their secondary with uh, Mark Gilbert, Dylan Singleton, uh, some of those guys back there. Um, Virginia coming into Chapel Hill November 2nd. I got talked into Virginia winning the Coastal the other day and completing the ACC Coastal Circle of Suck. Um, I mean – like, like you said earlier, I mean, they're disciplined, they're mean, they're uh, physical. You know, what, what what's your kind of broad view of Virginia for this year? I love this team. I, I love them. I mean, they are going to be so good. And they're not going to they... get any respect. They're not going to get any respect. 
They're not getting any votes. Most people aren't even going to watch them, but they are going to be they're going to be a salty group that lines up in the right place that hits you hard, that makes you pay. And Bryce Perkins is growing as a quarterback, and if they're going to be able to take some shots down the field, this team is going to be very, very. They're going to be a challenge to play against for everybody on their schedule. I mean, Bronco Mendenhall is he's turning them into BYU from when he was there. And with that P5 BYU talent. Was, exactly. And that BYU team was scary. That BYU team wasn't a team you wanted to see on your schedule consistently. Well, that BYU <laughs> team got Matt Brown fired from Texas, ironically enough. Well, definitely got Manny Diaz fired from Texas, but uh, give up 550 <laughs> rushing yards to a guy and yeah, things get a little hairy after that. Yeah, that, this team's going to be good. I don't think North Carolina gets that win. Then we get the next bye week, then you get at Pitt. And I think this is a game that North Carolina – if this was a home game, I'd say, yeah, this is a W. It's on the road, which is a little bit tougher. But we got a Pitt for me as an experiment this year. They got a new offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple. And the biggest thing I notice about Pitt is how small their windows are for success. And I'm not talking about time windows. I'm talking about play-to-play, guys like Maurice French. The fact that he has to fight a defensive back every play to make a catch, that's that's not a good thing. And if Whipple can open those windows up, then Pickett has some more success. But as long as everything is tight in there, Kenny Pickett has to be a perfect quarterback to complete for those. Pitt's going to continue to have problems, especially as they replace two 1,000-yard rushers. Yeah, and for me, Pitt's just uh, kind of an identity crisis because they have really not been the attacking uh, cover four that we kind of expected out of Pat Narduzzi. You know, they've just – really gotten by on defense and then their offense has really carried the program from his yeah, whole so tenure. Specifically yeah. The, the running backs. Yeah. So I mean, that, I think defensively, if they have Paris Ford and Jamar Hamlin healthy, two safeties, I think that frees them up a little bit more to play a little more aggressively defensively. And we get, then we might, then maybe we do get to see some of those double A fires that we, that he was known for coming out of Michigan state. But if their secondary isn't where he needs it to be, those guys are still going to be in trouble, which means they're going to still need that offense to cook for them. That's right. Uh, Mercer, we're not going to dwell on, uh, takes you to the Thanksgiving weekend game at NC State. Um, I think Jake Fromm's brother plays at Mercer. Really? Well, there we go. Yeah. Going to make me nervous about that one too now. No, not at all. No. And then we get the, the rivalry game, the actual rivalry game. That's right. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, State's an enigma me, to me this year. Really? They're a little bit. I, I like the talent they've gone to D-line. I love their secondary. Um, mm-hmm. Have not decided what I think of uh, either McKay or uh, Hockman at quarterback. So I, I think their offense is going to take a huge step back. But what do you think? Get Bailey, get one, get Bailey Hockman out of here. He's, not, he's the third-string quarterback. Get him out. Matt McKay is the starter. We got Devin Leary at number two. Matt McKay is good. He, him, watching him in their spring game, I was like, okay, we're getting it. Let's go. He hit his weapons. They got that tight end transfer from what USC coming in, Kerry Angeline. Yeah, seven guy. Yeah, I think that's. I think he can play a big role here in helping them kind of weather that storm of losing losing those two big wide receivers. I'm excited for Emeka Amizi, obviously. Um, and but I think Matt McKay is going to be fine. I think his ability to move a little bit is going to help help them weather the storm of losing Ryan Finley, with who 
personally was not that impressed by him his senior year. Um, so get him out of here. I will say this: they may have. I think they probably, unless we see somebody pop up at Clemson, I think they I, they might have the ACC Rookie of the Year in Zonovan Knight, the running back. Um, him with Ricky Person Jr. is a potent one-two punch. And even though they lost Dwayne Ledford to Louisville, um, their offensive line coach, I think their offensive line, and they lose, obviously, Garrett Bradbury to the NFL, I still think their offensive line is going to be solid. And I I just think that with guys like Fed Jackson and Sculthorpe, I think they have an opportunity to to move bodies, make plays. And when you have Ricky Person Jr., who, like, literally – Pre-spring, I was like, Ricky Preston Jr. is going to be the breakout player of the year in the ACC. Oh, he's nasty, man. He's so good. And then Zonovan Knight blows up in the spring in spring ball for them. And I was like, oh, they have two running backs that could run for 1,000 yards. And then you throw in a Mecca Amizi, Kerry Angeline, and they've got wide receivers that are going to make a couple plays. Wide receivers and a tight end. Pass catchers that are going to make some plays. This team can be – I think this team can be good. I don't know if they're going to be nine wins good, but this is a team that – Certainly, I look at their schedule, and I think they can beat ECU, Western Carolina, West Virginia, Ball State, Florida. Like, this is a team that at, they could be going into Syracuse 5-0 and after coming off a of bye week. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that worries me the most about them is that they do have a pretty easy front-loaded schedule to where – and West Virginia, obviously, taking a step back. You know, they, they can build some momentum and some confidence and some uh, proof of concept. So does UNC break the streak against State, which is uh, standing at three years, or are we going to wait that one out until 2020? I think we're waiting until 2020 on that one, man. Oh, boy. Right. At least right now. Oh, man. Um, you, you just had a bunch, um, a bunch of unsubscribes from my podcast right there, man. Thank you. Um, no. So overall, what are you looking at? Like a 4-8, and 5-7? and seven? I think that this is, I think this is probably a 4-8, and 5-7 and seven football team. You shoot with an opportunity in, that, in November to – I think I think this is a team where a bowl game is on the table still going into November, and it's just a matter of how much better they got from September to November, from the end of August to November. That's the determinant in those those final two games that you need to get to a bowl game. I think this is a team that, I mean, you, we look we've looked at the schedule. I mean, yeah. realistically, from a schedule standpoint, this is a team that you could start out one and one, could start out one and two, and or. Like if depending on what happens with Miami, maybe it's zero and two, and then you get to one and two, and then we try to get to two and two. Although that again, playing against App State is not easy. So I think this is a team that going into November, you're going to need you with those four games: Virginia, Pitt, Mercer, NC State. You're going to have to win probably three of those to get to a bowl game, and that's not going to be easy. And do you think uh, just with the way recruiting's going, uh, like gangbusters right now in Chapel Hill? Do you think a bowl game is necessary to show proof of concept for the 2020, 2021 guys, or is just improvement and, you know, just a base level of competency going to be enough to keep those guys on board? I think a bowl game would help, but I do think the reality is players recognize players and players recognize improvements. And if the attitude on that program is we're getting better and we're knocking on the door, we're getting closer, then that means every single visit that these kids take, every single time that they're on the sidelines, every time that they're in Keenan for a game, that energy is up because you're hopeful. That makes recruiting so much better. That's the difference with Miami. Mark Rick with Miami, those kids didn't want to recruit for Mark Rick. They were over it. 
Mark, uh, Manny Diaz with Miami, those kids want to recruit for him, and we're seeing it reflecting kids sticking, kids being interested. Georgia Tech with Paul Johnson, they didn't want to recruit for Paul Johnson. Nope. Georgia, Georgia Tech with Jeff Collins, those kids are willing recruiters, and your best, the best salesman for your program, it's not your coaches, it's your kids. Hey, Waffle House, you, man. Um, Felder, I, I don't mean to cut you short here. I am going to get you out on this. Um, I'm not going to do the trite thing that you do with a national writer where you ask him to pick the playoff. I'm just going to ask you. your your biggest college football hot take for uh, 2019. Um, biggest one for 2019, Spencer Rattler will be a starter by the middle of the season at Oklahoma. Ooh. That is spicy. I mean, yeah. that, that, that battle did drag out longer than I thought it would. Yeah. If, and imagine yeah. if Spencer Rattler had been an early enrollee. You know what? I'm, he didn't get to school, didn't get to school till summertime. I'm uh I'm 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 going to put that as uh, stone cold lock right there. I've got uh, three Georgia quarterbacks in the college football playoff with uh, Washington, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama. Ooh, wow! I like that. That's fun. And my uh, my uh, other one just I'll um, and, and I'll let you fire one off. <laughs> yes, sir. Duke's uh Duke's hangover after the Alabama game. They're going to lose at home to A and T the next week. That's a very real possibility. Wow. Didn't even think about that, but that's a very real possibility. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge your three Georgia quarterbacks in a playoff and say that uh, I think Jake Hayner is going to play pretty significant time at, at Washington. Okay. Um, well, he'll still be on the roster <laughs> theoretically, although, I mean, Jacob Eason's dad was a little bit of a helicopter dad at Georgia. Michael Felder, man, I appreciate you joining us uh, at in the bleachers on Twitter. Uh, what do you have or what what do you have coming to the stadium? Um, I've been all over your videos on Facebook. Uh, my high school friend, uh, Kristen Balboni, is your co-host on that show. Uh, what do you all have going on there? Balboni is great. I love working with her and Amina Smith. They're both fantastic. Uh, we got a new series called Tape Don't Lie coming out where I work with Max Brown, former former uh, USC and Pitt quarterback, and I work with Chris Martin, former Northwestern DB getting to talk about a little bit of college football, breaking things down to a base level so that folks understand kind of the inner workings. And then every day on a merge at 2 p.m. Eastern and just doing my thing, man. Man, it, it, it's a lot of fun to watch, man. I appreciate you joining us. And uh, until next time, keep it locked and go Heels.